Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Akash Magoon, who's the co-founder and CTO of Naya, which you can find at naya.com, that's N-A-Y-Y-A.com. And Naya's AI platform simplifies insurance decisions for business leaders and benefits managers and improves the healthcare experience for individual employees. In this episode, Akash goes through how he started the company with his co-founder, Sina, and how he went through an accelerator and why they chose the accelerator they ended up going with, as well as raising their seed round of $2.7 million, how that works in terms of fundraising, what they've done to grow the company, including going through the experience of cold calling and cold outreach, and how they're looking at balancing the short-term versus long-term, building products, and so much more in this episode. It's jam-packed, full of insights, and Akash was great to have on the show. Really excited for you to listen. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, where you can get links to everything mentioned in this episode. And if you leave a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts, it helps more people find the show. I'd really appreciate that. Without further ado, here is Akash Magoon, the co-founder and CTO of Naya. Akash, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you on and talk about Naya and what you're doing to really help people with, with your company. And I want to, just for people who really aren't familiar with Naya yet, can you give us just a little overview of what Naya is? Sure. So at Naya, our reason for being is uh, really creating software to help Americans um, better choose and use their health insurance and employee benefits. And we use data science and machine learning to really understand um, the world of the world of benefits, the world of healthcare and insurance plans to give consumers a view and a transparent view into uh, what might be best for them and and their families and their loved ones, especially as they're navigating their their healthcare journeys and, and beyond. And with Naya then, Akash, how did this get started in the first place? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I think um, there's not like a, a short answer to that. <laughs> Go but, for it. We got time. <laughs> um, but maybe starting back from me, uh, like my interests growing up have always been in healthcare, really. Um, grew up wanting to be a doctor. Quickly realized that uh, after volunteering at, at Johns Hopkins, which is um, kind of the neighborhood hospital nearby where I grew up, quickly realized that practicing wasn't for me and started getting more and more deeper into like the technical side of, of the world and went to the, to the University of Maryland, studied computer science and continued following my kind of like passions towards like healthcare and medicine, but particularly how you can use software to impact that space. Yeah. And um, not to go too deep into like um, my previous company, but have worked in like the healthcare space in the past. Um, but most recently, like how we came up with Naya, me and my co-founder, Sina Chirazi, uh, we were both working together at a company called Enigma Technologies, which is a Series C NEA-backed company in New York City. And during that time, I was leading the engineering team there for all of our uh, healthcare and insurance work. And he was leading um, our go-to-market and business development and really sales channels. And uh, as we were building a platform there to help really five of the 10 largest insurance companies in the country, we saw a lot of these overlapping challenges between really the insurers um, at the highest level of like the um, health insurance food, at the highest level of the health food chain is the insurers. And yeah. saw a lot of interesting overlapping challenges there. 
ultimately got excited about a few of them and decided to leave our full-time jobs to start Naya in 2019, around uh, 10 or 11 months ago, so not too long ago. And that idea that we left our full-time jobs to start is very, very different, I think, in, in nature, but still very much similar in DNA to what we're doing today. And as we started testing ideas, building MVPs, getting feedback from the industry, we've uh, used all that data that we've gotten from uh, really the people that we've shown our product and have pivoted a few times. And um, slowly but surely, we realize that InsureTech is really on fire right now. It's it's all the rage and so much um, hype, a lot of venture money into InsureTech. There's a lot of companies focused on really helping insurance companies. There's a lot of companies building great tech and great products for brokers and employers and, and really everything in between. And what we've quickly realized is the end consumer, who this whole industry is for, the end consumer, they, they've they never gotten access to the, to the data. They don't have transparency. It's a huge, opaque decision-making process for them. Yeah. And that's what's really motivating to us. And that's what really keeps us up at night, but also makes us want to um, work in the morning is really how do we help the millions of consumers that are underinsured in the United States uh, find the best plans and, and really navigate their their not only healthcare journeys, but employee benefits and um, and some of the, we see that as some of the biggest financial decisions of your year. And, and that's kind of the, been the journey to date. And with that too, I want to dig into some of the details because I think it's helpful for other people, especially people launching companies now or just about to. Before you left your, your day job, I mean, what how, how much traction did you have at that point? Was it just an idea when you left your day job or where were you at at that point? Yeah, it was uh, no traction. It was... Uh, a few weekends worth of uh, building MVPs with with my co-founder and eventually just realized, okay, we can go build MVPs. We can maybe drizzle it out into the market and, and get some feedback from people that we know in this space. But until we're able to dedicate uh, not 40 hours, but really 80, 90 hours <laughs> to, the, to the grind, yeah. there's no way in our opinion that it's going to become a success. And that's especially so I think in enterprise businesses. Um, but to the extent that you... For anyone that is able to get as much traction as possible while moonlighting in their current jobs, I think that's obviously super beneficial and puts you into a position with a little more clarity and um, helps you identify like the risk that you're taking. But uh, for us, it was all about like until we were able to go and um, fully test our product in the market, iterate, get that feedback and move as quick as possible, we weren't going to be successful. And so really very little traction before leaving our full-time jobs. And to that point then, so once you, you left, you jumped into Naya full-time, the fundraising side of it, at what point did you then raise funds for Naya to help this thing get off the ground? So as we, it, it was really difficult because me and my co-founder were all about um, really raising money when you need it. And yeah. I think the best time to raise money is when you've built something, you've maybe had one rotation of the flywheel and raising money allows you to put more fuel to that fire. That's, in my opinion, the best time to raise money. But as we left our full-time jobs and not having like a, a huge personal financial runway, as, especially as young founders, yeah. it was important to us to re, at least raise a little bit of money out the gate to support some basic like startup expenses, f- founders, small salaries, and um, things that we needed to build the product out. And so we raise a really, really small kind of like friends and advisors 
round as well as um, joined an accelerator program in New York City called the Entrepreneur Roundtable Accelerator, which um, I'm not sure how many folks on the show have heard about it, but we kind of call it the, the YC of New York City. But um, kind of what the YC was five or six years ago, where they only accept 13 companies each year. And right. there's a lot of mentorship and a lot of industry expertise that's given to you through that process. And so that program, they give you 100K. It's a six-month program co-located in New York City with Office Space. And so between a small kind of friends and family round, uh, in addition to that accelerator, that's what we kind of used to ignite our first six to seven months. And then this past um, this past May opened up a, a more formal formal seed round and and we were lucky enough through COVID to continue receiving traction on our product and um, really build a product that solved the pain point for millions of Americans, millions of businesses and, and insurance companies. And now that we've concluded and closed that seed round, really focused back on product and engineering and, and building the team out. And and through that process, then you mentioned like the family and friends side of things, and there's a lot of different ways to kind of structure that and go about that. I, for you, I mean, how are you going about getting people on board? And also like, how did you end up structuring kind of those early ones? I actually just had this conversation with someone else uh, about like, how does that family and friend rounds, family and friends like round in terms of the structure of that look? Uh, and how do you go about that for people who are curious? I would love to hear your perspective. Sure. So the family and friends round, it was, it was, uh, between my co-founder and I, we were really trying to find people that were either successful in the space or previous entrepreneurs that um, were interested in helping startups out. Really, we were looking for those kind of people to join us on our on our mission. And so, between really, really between having friends running really small pre-seed funds to professors that were now our previous professors that are now investing or some other friends that have been like C-suites at companies that are in this space, we were able to find um, a really small cohort of people that uh, were willing to join us out the gate and super grateful for having kind of that nest egg from day one to not only rely on for initial capital, which is like a really small part of it, yeah, but being able to call them at any point and ask some questions and uh, use their guidance and, and their scar tissue building their own companies to help us navigate some of these day to day hurdles you receive as founders. And in terms of like the actual structure, yeah, I think as a as a brand new company, pre-seed seed company, it's really hard to put a valuation on your company. And so we just did a traditional safe investment type note. Um, like you'll see pretty pretty widespread, pretty ubiquitous these days. But yep. opened up a safe round, um, gave the early investors uh like a, like a discount on a safe note so that when we go and raise a, a price round, they would obviously be able to participate in that upside, which was important for us to give them because they were part of our journey so early on. And then it gives us the flexibility of being able to raise money quickly and not have to go through too much of the, the, the legal headache of figuring out valuations and issuing shares and whatnot. Yeah, and I think it's it's good to know that because for people who aren't familiar, a lot of times the Y Combinator basically pioneered like the safe, and then that typically a lot of times comes with like a twenty percent discount for the next round. Um, and and with that, you chose an accelerator. How did you end up choosing the, the the accelerator you went with? Because there's so many different ones out there now. You mentioned Y Combinator as one. There's TechStars. There's a, there's a number of them. How did you choose the accelerator you did? Yeah, so a few of those that you mentioned, I th we we definitely applied to the to the whole list of like top accelerators and. Um, 
after getting to a few of them and then talking to founders that have been through like each one of those programs, we quickly realized that ERA really had what we were looking for. It was um, like pretty enterprise focused. Yep. The the managing directors as well as the the network of mentors that they have through that program, a lot of them were like primarily focused or a lot of them had backgrounds in insure tech and in healthcare. One of the other things for us that was super important is staying in New York. Yeah. Just uh, moving. A lot of the accelerators are Bay Area only focused. And so staying in New York was important, not only because that's like where we had our base camp already set up, but also because a lot of our customers and, and prospects were in New York. So being close to your customers was really important. And so between the few options in New York and just seeing how, um, how much of a value add ERA is brought to even previous companies in different batches that have also been in the same space. It was almost a, almost a no-brainer at that point. So once we've decided that we wanted to be part of A Accelerator, um, choosing ERA was um, a pretty much a, a no-brainer after talking to founders that have been through a few of the other programs too. And Akash, you mentioned you know your clients or customers were based in New York. How are you going about getting those kind of first initial customers that you're going to work with? Sure. So our our first first product idea that we left our, our full time jobs to start was really focused on building um, a platform to help insurance companies and and hospital systems and health systems um, and better understand their doctor networks and better understand care and coverage and ratings of doctors and how some doctors were more effective in some types of procedures versus others using a lot of public data and claims data. And we realized that a lot of the big insurance companies were based in New York. And we'd already known that from our previous jobs, working with a few of them, a lot of big health systems in New York and getting the first few customers was nothing more than uh, tying into previous networks and uh, also the traditional like cold emailing people reaching out on on LinkedIn or email and getting the foot in the door, showing a product offering and then really just wowing them or getting their feedback. And what we realized like very, very quickly is early on, we weren't going into any of these conversations saying, hey, we're a startup, we've built this product and we want to give it to you as more of how do you actually start a dialogue with them? How do you build that relationship? And not necessarily sell them what you've been what you've built now, but really figured out what their pain points are. And sooner than later, and, and um, surely once you talk to more and more people, you'll begin to like have this different view on some of the industry problems. And once you truly build something that's valuable, going back to them, even though you were trying to sell them in the first place, is a lot easier. Uh, once they become your kind of your friend and and somebody that you go to for advice. And then once you've built something impactful and you go to them and try selling them, it's, um, I won't say it's easy, but the, the narrative at that point is a little more, um, is a little more clear. Yeah. And as you've talked to these people, you mentioned before that you tried different, different versions of MVPs and have different product offerings and as well. How do you go about, about like building products in terms of deciding which ones you want to build next or which features you want to build next. How has that process gone for, for you and Naya so far? Yeah. So we always big, big believers of um, building things as quick as possible, but not, not for like the, the moving fast and breaking things type approach, but more, how do you take something you've heard from the field, put that into action and actually go and test it. And something that we 
um, find really important is to really remove any emotions from the process. Let let the data tell the full story. And so whether it's um, me spending a week building something or my co-founder initially out going taking calls and meeting customers and having a high um, a high inclination that something might be successful. You don't really know until you try it and put it out there. And so since you're doing so many of these experiments day in and day out, doing it as quick as possible is really, really important. So even if it's not a functional demo, but you're showing the art of the possible through maybe wireframes or through um, maybe a quick little web app that you can put on onto like a, a demo environment. Yeah. Being able to test as quick as possible was something that we did. And um, sometimes when we go through our, like it's, again, we've only been on this journey for 10 months, but when we go back through our emails or through our uh, calendar invites from, from October and November, we'll see like, oh, wow, we actually did that. And <laughs> seeing some of like the, the quick tests that we've done have been um, probably the biggest, the biggest driver of us being able to like pivot really quickly and be where we are today. But it's, it's both humbling and really rewarding to see all the different things that we've tried because each, each experiment, both failed or successful, in my opinion, comes with a lot of, um, a lot of learning and failing in my opinion is not, um, wrong. In fact, we all, almost see failure as successes, but if you don't take that failure and learn from it and not make that mistake again, then it's as good as a failure. But if you're able to take that and take away learning and make sure that you keep that in the back of your mind for everything else that you build, that's when it truly gets, um, that's when you truly, truly start, start stacking your cards together and, um, being able to actually think more critically. Yeah. And through that process of you guys testing for the last you know year or so, you guys quit your job to go full-time into this. You you went to the Accelerator, you raised kind of the initial funding and you were able to raise around 2.7 million uh, very recently. What at that point then, so I, you know, in the last like month or so, what traction did you have that allowed you then to get to the point of raising kind of that seed round 2.7 million for those wondering about, okay, I've got maybe initial investment for friends and family, you know, at what point should I go for the seed round or what do I need to get to the seed round? I'm just curious for you and your journey, uh, what it took then to get to that seed round of funding for you guys. Sure. So like any company, in my opinion, that joins an accelerator, really the goal is um, that program will be three months, four months, five months. But the biggest purpose of that is in that time frame, being really early on, how do you accelerate your growth such that at the end of it, and for ERA specifically, there was a, a demo day at the end of the program where we were supposed to pitch our company in front of a thousand VCs in a big auditorium in New York, which uh, that auditorium ended up being a <laughs> being a live stream online. Yeah. <laughs> so not not quite what we thought reality would be, but really our goal for that program was how do you how do we get our product out there? How do we get as many customers? Um, to join kind of what we were calling a beta to be able to understand the narrative, tell the story, and then go out into demo day and pitch something that VCs would be excited about. And again, our program was from, from January to May in, in 2020, uh, almost eight weeks in the program, COVID hit, things started getting really uncertain really quickly. And what we learned is for some of our peers that were running uh, rideshare companies or consumer product good companies, they were hit pretty hard. Yeah, and um, didn't really have any commercial activity for a while. We were lucky enough to again be in the health and insurance space where our value prop eventually, like the product that we were going to market with in this accelerator, was targeted towards businesses. Businesses between um, 
between really 50 and 500 employees. We were trying to help them better navigate their their benefits journey. And what we realized is during this COVID environment, more and more businesses um, had our value props in their top of their mind, which was how do you increase coverage for employees? So how do you increase insurance coverage while decreasing costs? And so even though these businesses were having layoffs and we were going to them, um, trying to give them something that they may have already solved, showing them that value prop was super important. And so as we were able to get not only five wins or 10 wins, but eventually like 15 customers to join pretty quickly in our beta, that point going to VCs and showing them the journey and and the narrative was like pretty clear. Again, it wasn't easy in my opinion. I think a lot of uh, investors in April and in May started, stopped investing for a while. Yeah. Mostly focusing on their current book of like their current portfolio and rebalancing funds. And it wasn't easy, but for the investors that were still investing, I think we had a lot of at-bats just because our industry being in the space was like pretty top of mind for people. It's almost like being in the Zoom or Slack business. It's something that um, was almost a natural fit for the environment. And at that point, going out and and pitching to investors um, ended up being a long journey. We had a lot of no's early on, um, but eventually as we started bringing on a few like really impactful angel investors early on. We were able to use that to build some hype and build some FOMO with some other institutional investors and lucky enough to close around at 2.7 million, as you mentioned, um, with uh, three institutional funds and then um, really a cohort of super smart and and uh, industry angel investors that have been really important to us. And for you then, you know, going from that experience and having just gone through it, I think it's it's really helpful because it's it's more top of mind than anything. For anyone else going through that the experience of fundraising at this point, is there anything else you, you would kind of mention or suggest to them as they're going through it? You mentioned creating that FOMO, and I've heard that from a variety of entrepreneurs, but is there anything else that you specifically would, would tell entrepreneurs who are maybe raising that seed round of funding? Yeah, I think it's it's really, really easy to get investor excitement, and it's easy to um, get one meeting with them or two or three and they'll pass you around internally between their analysts and their directors and, and then to the partners. But what it's really hard to do is actually close the check, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, I saw this with my co-founder, Sina, uh, where we were talking to dozens and dozens of funds. And oftentimes what you feel like is is velocity is really like velocity in the wrong direction where you'll be spending like most of your day nine to five with like, VC phone calls. And when you're raising, in my opinion, as a founder, when you're raising money, it's a, it's a full-time job in itself. Yeah. And so I think the biggest thing you can do is, and it's hard to do this initially, but as you start closing a few checks, it's a little easier. It's like start putting an artificial deadline on the round. Um, obviously, like people ask you, oh, when are you looking to close the round? And you'll say a random date. But if you put an artificial <laughs> deadline on it and start like racking in the checks into that, especially in like a C type round where may not be like one fund coming in for $3 million. It's really a handful of funds come in for like a smaller uh, portion of the pie. Start building that hype and close as quick as possible because um, VCs are very uh, short-term oriented. And um, unless your round's closing in the next two weeks, they're not going to give you uh, the love and attention that you want. And they're going to continue passing you around between the firm, especially if it's a little larger. So making sure you do that, making sure you... Um, really convey in a clear way what you plan on doing with the funds. That's a lot of, I've, I've seen a lot of friends or other entrepreneurs almost assume that the VC knows that 
you're going to go out and use this funds to buy 50k of licenses and you're going to bring on two engineers and a salesperson and and um and etc but really solidifying clarifying how long this money is going to last you what you want to do with it where this is going to take you and coupling all of that with uh, a growth story or a narrative from the previous like three to six months on what you've been able to accomplish is it's uh, it means a lot i think to investors and being able to do that and position the story in that way is in my opinion the best way to do it and with that akash so with raising that funding recently i mean what is then the use of funds like moving forward for for naya as you guys are building this out so one of our biggest things was how do we raise enough money to so actually let me rewind when 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 COVID had just hit mid-march all of our advisors all of our um previous investors that came in on the on the friends round and even the folks at the accelerator were saying um the vc well was going to dry up and that we need to go out and raise for a two year or two two and a half year runway yeah because nobody knows what the the vc pool is going to be in 2021 or mid 2021 and so we wanted to quickly go out and raise uh, enough for a two and a half year runway and we also knew that to scale this team and to scale the product and from this initial traction that we got to like hit our next milestone enough to go and raise a series a we had like this like ideal team in place uh, in terms of like the types of roles and so we knew it was just me and my co-founder we knew we wanted at least another engineer maybe two we wanted a a head of product to really help bridge the gap between commercial and engineering and if possible we wanted somebody to kind of feel like a a growth or a head of business development type uh role to uh especially as we accelerate and go to market into the end of the year and so with that in mind and with like some data budget and technology budget and and some go-to-market budget, we just worked backwards from a two and a half year runway. And that's how we decided how much to raise. With you then uh, as a CTO, from your role, I mean, what does your role entail right now currently with Naya? Yeah, that's a tough one. I I get that question a lot. And most people think a CTO is uh, 95% coding or 100% coding all day. And I almost see myself as, um, and everyone in the company is very much like, sitting horizontally, just yeah. being a really, really small team. But my day is a mix of uh, customer calls, both like prospects and current customers, uh, partnership calls, um, now like a little more more than usual in a lot of like hiring calls and meeting a lot of candidates. And then even spending a lot of my time coding and working with our other engineer to figure out how to what to prioritize and um, even with our head of product figuring out there's a lot of like interesting opportunities right now and how we can um how and what we can build into the remainder of the year and so i'd say it's almost like 60 percent everything else and then 40 percent <laughs> product and engineering and i'm hoping that changes um into the next um next couple of weeks especially as we sprint into q4 q4 is a huge huge time for us as a business because that's when over 75 percent of um health and insurance decisions that are made are in october and November and December. So sometimes it's almost like we're built, we're selling Christmas trees year round where people only really <laughs> yeah. want Christmas trees at the end of the year. Yeah. And so really all hands on deck into the end of the year. And that's kind of my, at a broad level, like my day to day, but it's, it's a mix between everything. And as a small team, I think it just should stay that way. And even, even as we grow larger, we want um, really our engineering and product teams being as close to the customer as possible. And even our commercial 
team being as close to the engineering and making sure that that harmony exists is really important to me and the rest of the team from a culture perspective. And mentioning that that small team and team is such an important part, especially early stage. I'm getting those hires right and everything. How are you going about then growing the team, you know, sourcing talent for the team? I'm just curious about that because I know other people who are who are building startups. Like you know, it can be such a nightmare to, to build a team, depending on yeah, really what level you're at, what company you're at. But regardless, it's difficult. How have you gone about that side of things, Akash? Sure. So we were lucky enough to at least build the first like. Um, initial team, like the first inning team from people that we've worked with in the past. So the other engineer on my team, uh, his name's Josh. And it was uh, quite ironic where um, back in, in high school, he was running a startup and I was actually working for him um, <laughs> on his on his company. And lucky enough, six, seven years later, um, was able to, again, work with him uh, on Naya, have him join the team and be a big part of the, the product. Um, for our head of product, uh, was lucky enough to bring my brother onto the team, who's been a um, a product leader at a couple other companies and has been really, really fun to work with. And then on the commercial side, my co-founder brought on somebody that has really been a industry veteran within this like benefits space. And so between them uh, and our first three people, lucky enough to bring on people that we knew. And then now, more recently. As we have started opening up more of your like traditional hiring pipelines and going to AngelList and LinkedIn and and into our networks, it's more about um, running people through like a traditional uh, hiring cycle. Especially for engineering, it's it's really easy to find engineers that are excited about what you're building and have a lot of experience. But sometimes when you go and test them for like technical acumen or coding acumen, they may be great or they may be not. And then um, as you move them on into other types of interviews, one of the biggest one of the like the most unique interviews I feel like we have for being um, a sub ten person team is a culture fit interview. Yeah, and we actually had um, most people think that oh you have like a you have somebody that crushes a technical interview like you have the the next Steve Wozniak come in the door <laughs> and he's like the best person for you um, and he I think he's a great person so I didn't want to negatively use his name but <laughs> if you have somebody really strong and and knows computer science in and out that he's the best person. But we actually had three candidates recently that we actually had to like say no to just because in our culture screen and in our kind of product deep dive, we didn't see that they would be like a great initial team person. I think there's a lot of people that are good as like engineer number two and three, and that's like a unique type person. And there's a lot of other people that when you're a 40, 50, 60 person team and you're looking to take something that already has product market fit and continue scaling that, that's a different kind of engineer. And so that's been really hard to find in my opinion. Um, but been lucky enough to, again, tap into personal networks and, and see people that have done it before and, and build the funnel that way, but still ongoing process. And um, I guess shameless plug for anybody listening that is interested in startups, is an engineer or even product or has a sales background that's interested in joining something early stage, definitely feel free to reach out and would love to love to speak. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Not even, no need to even uh, prerequisite it. I'll definitely help push that and happy to, to spread the word about you guys are hiring because uh, it is such a difficult part. One, one quick thing though, with the culture screen, like what does that consist of? Or like, what does that look like? Because I think it's important. Uh, I think people would be curious about that as well. Yeah, it's, it's a mix of really seeing whether it's, it's definitely not a science. It's, it's more an art, I would say. There's no like methodical way or no like rubric or checklist that you can do. <laughs> right. 
but it's really about understanding the person's story, understanding their motivations, seeing that they have the grit and the tenacity and the generosity and the moxie really to join something early stage. Um, that coupled with just really seeing, is this somebody that you would be able to work with for 40 or 50 hours? And that's really hard to quantify that if you, if you meet somebody in like a classroom or you meet somebody at work, you almost know, know after like speaking with them for like 10 or 15 minutes, whether this is somebody that you'd want to work with. And it's, it's very similar in a culture screen where if you can understand somebody's background and their involvement in different types of projects that they've worked on in the past, um, as well as what they like doing outside of work and, and other kind of extracurricular things, you can figure out whether you want to work with that person. Um, so again, no, no science by any means, it's more, <laughs> more an art and more a conversation. And we actually like seeing it as like a more of a bi-directional fit where in that, in that like, culture type conversation it's, it's not even a screen or an interview it's more of a conversation where we want that candidate that potential person that's going to be joining us on this journey to know that this is the type of environment that they want to work in as much as we want to see whether we think we would work well with them so definitely bi-directional with that so moving, moving on from that then in terms of building out these different products and you have a number of kind of different like tools products right now just from looking at even like the website like Take me through that that thought process. I know we talked a little bit earlier uh, about that on the, the product side, but even looking at the different tools and resources you're going to offer uh, and ones that you build out, how are you getting then feedback in that way to adjust these to adjust these products and tools to to create new ones to understand which ones will be next, which ones we can wait on? Like, uh, take me through your thought process with with that sort of thing as well. Sure. Uh, so we through like our the life cycle of our company, we've built some pretty strong data assets, um, both around the, the biggest one, the most mature around providers. So providers are really any medical provider, so a doctor or a dentist. And we've cleaned and linked um, using data science and entity resolved data about doctors to, un, uh, to intimately understand who are they, where do they practice, how many office locations do they work out of, what insurance plans do they accept, if they're an oncologist, knowing that their oncologist is not enough, what types of oncology um, research have they done and what are their specialties? And so we've built that data asset. Uh, the second data asset is around employers. What do employers look like today? What may have they looked like three years ago? What may they look like three years from now? And so all the products that we built are really sitting on top of those two data assets. Um, and what we've learned is consumers like you and I, if you imagine you work at a Imagine you work at a company like Coca-Cola. Every year, uh, as an employee at Coca-Cola, you'll go through an open enrollment process. And during open enrollment, it's a two-week period where you get to select anywhere between uh, the four to seven healthcare plans and the two to three dental plans and uh, anywhere between five to 10 of these like quote-unquote supplemental products like, health, uh, like uh, critical illness and disability and life insurance. And every person has to go through that and these plans are put into your plate after the head of HR at your companies that um, form these partnerships with insurers. And most people, and I would say like eight out of 10 people, have no idea what a deductible is, have no idea what an out-of-pocket max is, have no idea um, really what the difference between an Aetna bronze and a Blue Cross gold plan is. And that, in our opinion, has led to a, a problem in the U.S. Um, around like underinsurance where over half of Americans couldn't afford an unexpected medical bill over $500. And that's actually highly likely just because everyone's, or a lot of people are underinsured. And yeah. so we have really two different segments of a product. The first one is um, 
choosing insurance and the second one's using insurance. So choosing insurance is all about that two-week period open enrollment, giving people the the transparency and the data they need to know what the best plan is for them. So whether you're a 26-year-old software engineer living in New York City that is single or you're a 43-year-old husband with three children living in Omaha, Nebraska, the types of healthcare plans and the type of um, even retirement plans and, and so on that you're on shouldn't be the same. And we've seen that um, like from more of a psychology perspective, people are always choosing like the middle tier plan because they think that the, the cheapest plan is like um, not a good idea to <laughs> help them set up for success. And the, the more expensive plan, unless you have like a huge chronic illness that it's not right for you. And what that has led to is like the younger people that are in the middle plan are actually overinsured where they're paying too much and over consuming healthcare. And then the families that are on the middle tier plan are underinsured and there should be on the more expensive one just because kids have a lot of, uh, come with a lot of healthcare costs and, and spouses as well. And so that's our first, first product. It's all about choosing your, your insurance options. And then for the other 50, 50 weeks of the year, actually helping employers deliver on that promise that they, that the benefits are supposed to offer is all about using insurance. So we offer a platform to employees to help them um, understand their benefits, understand how much um, care costs, find and book appointments with doctors that are in network and file claims and so on. And so really using your benefits year in a year out. Um, it's crazy that really employee benefits are the second biggest line item for most companies after salary. But if you ask employees about their job satisfaction from a benefits perspective, it's usually quite low. And it's quite low in our opinion, not because the investment hasn't been made from their employer. The investment has been made and it's like a very, very expensive investment, but really because they don't understand how to use it. And so that's the almost the value prop to the employers. And then the value prop to the employees is pretty clear too. And with that all, with with everything you're building with, with Naya, then you mentioned kind of some of the earlier things to to get the kind of first initial customers on board, you know, your cold calling, cold emailing, and LinkedIn outreach, et cetera. I mean, how are you looking at growing this moving forward, whether it be more more of a scalable way, more of a sustainable way? Like how are you looking at growth moving forward for Naya? So we've put more recently, we realized that uh, cold outreach, um, it definitely the scale into um, maybe an A round or like a, a series B type company, but eventually to um, build that fine tuned machine, you need to have this funnel that is largely filled with organic um, visitors and organic organic customers. And the way you do that is through content and putting uh, collateral and material out there for the for the industry, especially like benefits managers and uh, insurance company leaders to like consume and digest and really know us as a brand. And so setting the stage up for Naya as like a, as an enterprise brand going forward is really important to us. And we're still doing a lot of um, cold outreaching and um, getting connected with benefit leaders, insurance brokers, insurance companies. And so a lot of it's, um, it's both like short term and long, long term oriented. <laughs> I think for the yeah. long term, we know that eventually, like we're going to need the more scalable practices, but to get the the revenue wins on the board now have to do some of those things that don't scale. So a mix between the two. With that too, I mean, that's actually one of my questions. I'm always curious about that short-term versus long-term thinking. I mean, how do you, how do you balance those two? I mean, is it something where you're reviewing every week and just making sure you're doing some of those things that are, you're starting to make progress on the scalable things or when you have time, like how do you kind of look at 
those short-term versus long-term things, especially understanding like, yeah, you're going to get more traction like right now with some of these maybe things that don't scale, but you know you need to build these systems out for, for the future. Like how, like during a week or during a month, how do you balance that out then? So we brought on somebody dedicated to um, marketing and branding onto our team who's really, uh, her name's Kay. She's really been pushing us towards um, thinking about that long-term versus versus short-term. So in the long-term, it's about um, putting out three blog posts or five blog posts every week, posting related content on LinkedIn um, and so on. And even like partnering with with um, a lot of like media outlets. That's like long-term. Short-term is like, how do you build, for example, email funnels where yeah. for a particular prospect that we know that we want to get into the door on in, in Q4, how do we over the next eight weeks put them into an email funnel on HubSpot, um, give them like do a lot of giving before asking. So giving them a lot of content that'll help them do their job better um, and, and go in for the win. So mixing that with a lot of A-B testing on copy on the types of stakeholders that we're reaching out to, as well as the the times of day that you reach out to them and, and what you're actually providing them. That's like an ongoing art that um, my, my co-founder Sina and, and our marketing team is really focused on. And being like really what we're trying to optimize there just one last thing is yeah um how do you give people so much content that at that point like they want to work with you and want to learn about you yeah and what we're optimizing there is like booking 30 minute demos on on calendly and getting people to come onto our site and we'll walk them through a demo of our platform and so that's obviously really really helpful from a sales perspective but having engineers and and I'm on our head of product on those calls as well, has been really helpful from understanding what is the industry saying about us? What is like, what are the biggest learnings from the field and how do we use that to come back into our product meetings and have planning sessions that are targeted around like what we're hearing more and more, more often. And it's interesting, you'll, you'll be on like one, two, three calls and you'll hear something and you'll think it's just like a coincidence. But once you get on five to seven calls, you'll see a lot of these like overlapping asks between um, different companies. One example of that is somebody recently asked us, oh, how can my employees, how can new employees that are coming from other companies with a different insurance plan tell whether this Aetna plan that we're offering has their primary existing primary care doctor in place? And that was a really, really interesting insight because so many people are making healthcare decisions uh, on new plans every year, but they don't know whether the primary care doctor they visited last year or the eye doctor or the ear specialist they visited last year are in that network. And they're pretty much making yeah. that decision in a vacuum. And so once we heard that, we we're like, oh, wow, we already have the data to be able to build that kind of functionality. We just haven't really built like the front end for it. And so that's one of those two to three day experiments that we kind of sprinted on and, and put out into the market as an MVP. Got a lot of great traction already. And now we're like dedicating more effort and, and more like a more of a UX push on that. And so those are the sort of things that are really, really important between short-term and long-term, in my opinion. Yeah. And looking at even like the, you mentioned the content piece of it as well. And I interviewed Rand Fishkin who founded Moz, essentially one of like the kings of the SEO world. Now he's at SparkToro, but with all the content, they made, they built Moz off of content and SEO. I and mean, that's the SEO company, but then they also built the entire kind of company off of whether it be blog posts and, and articles. And I've kind of built my career off of content and, and brand from that perspective that's allowed me then to do these things such as the podcast now where it's grown because of the content I put out already. And I just see that 
across different businesses and how beneficial it can be. Obviously, it's an investment of time. It's an investment of resources to do that. But especially something like the industry you're in with people building that trust through content, through learning and being educated. And then it's like, oh, yeah, of course, I'm going to work with Naya. Like, why wouldn't I? That just makes sense. Like, I see that happening more and more with different companies, whether it be blog posts, whether it be podcasts, videos, etc. And with you on your entrepreneurial journey so far here, it's only, you know, it's been about a year. Is it what you expected so far, Akash? Yeah, I think it it, it, uh, it definitely is in a in a weird way. I was I always knew that starting a company would be really really hard. Um, I had the opportunity to start a company back in in college for a short period of time, so it got like a early flavor of of what being an entrepreneur is. But I I think there's a lot of like lessons that we've learned along the way, and and I think my role specifically changes a lot will change a lot over time as like the company matures and as we build out an engineering team um, my role will be a lot, a lot different than it is now especially from going from coding very often to managing other engineers and uh, especially as we build the continue building the product out the types of things that we were focused on pre-product market fit and now has really evolved and um, it's been a it's been a crazy journey so, sometimes you're you're really like um, you're working so hard for like a given month, you, you keep digging, digging, digging and building and building and building. And then you look up on on a weekend to like reflect on the last month and you'll, you're realizing how much you've accomplished. And then uh, because we aren't, we're like pretty, we're not complacent as co-founder. We keep setting our higher bar for ourselves. <laughs> we'll do again for the subsequent month. Of we'll continue doing the same and same thing. And um, one of the things we're trying to focus on now is um, like time management and making sure that there's like more of like a work-life harmony, especially as, being in COVID and being home all the time, you can tend to just work and work and work and not take a break. So it's uh, being an entrepreneur has been really rewarding. I think this is what I've always wanted and really excited to be at this inflection point between really taking our company from like a, a first inning company into a second inning company, especially uh, after bringing on the new team um, and need to make sure that we continue doubling down on the things that are important. Yeah, and it's exciting with with having the seed funding, have the things you're building and things, the progress you've made up until this point already, which is great. And going to the accelerator obviously helped you get to that point, helped you raise funding. And you had mentioned briefly there that you know t- important to have some type of work life balance. Step away a little bit for you. What helps you recharge from work? So one of the things that um, I always do, like every day after I'm done working, is like I've I've been a an avid power lifter for the past few years. And so making sure I spend each day just um, recharging, getting and lifting weights or going for going for a run or doing something that helps you kind of recharge, get some more mental clarity has been really important. More recently, I've been doing um, more and more cooking, more and more yoga and being back home with the, the family has been great to, uh, I guess, after college and have, haven't really been home. So being home with my parents has been good to catch up with them. So trying to spend more and more time um, not working or or at least <laughs> taking a break from work when I can. Yeah. And it's interesting uh, asking a variety of entrepreneurs that question. And I know like Sean Salas from, from Camino Financial, he mentioned he's been taking up gardening as one of his kind of things to do to kind of recharge from work. And other people mentioned kind of the fitness and the lifting side of things as well, or like taking walks or going on hikes. And it's just like, everyone has their own thing that helps them recharge. And regardless of what that is, regardless of if it's a few minutes a day, or if it's a weekend thing or whatever, I think 
it's definitely important for for founders and especially when you're thinking long term and being able to kind of sustain this effort because building a startup takes a lot of time a significant amount of effort and so being able to sustain that is, is important and just like one last question is really looking back at this last year and you've been through a lot already with with the company any other kind of uh, takeaways from your journey so far for other entrepreneurs i would say figure out any way possible to really pursue your idea and don't let anything come in between and so whether that's you working at a at a full-time job and having ideas or going through a year's worth of analysis paralysis, which is what me and, <laughs> and my co-founder did before we ultimately left. Just figure out a way where you can unblock yourself and really spend your full time focusing on your on your passion. Um, a lot of people, I hear a lot of people like talk about how do you get ideas for starting a business and a lot of people get stuck at that stage. We didn't really have a, like an amazing clear idea when we left. And so um, just using everything that you can and spending a lot of time creating MVPs, testing them out, figure out what resonates, especially in like an enterprise type environment is really important. And even before that, when I was graduating college and I knew I wanted to start a business at the time, I didn't have a great idea. And so one of the pieces of advice that one of my advisors gave me was um, go join a company in either an industry that you're really excited about or somewhere that you can get really, really deep on an industry problem. And so that's how I figured out like what I wanted my first job out of college to be. Um, I had like, I could have just like any of my other friends could have gone to like Facebook or Amazon or Google, but I ended up choosing a really small company that builds almost like in a consulting model, builds like products for various companies within the industry. And that was probably like like one of my best decisions coming out of school was joining a company in that kind of environment because working with other insurance companies at my previous job for for over two years um, helped me and my co-founder find these like overlapping problems. And so enterprise is really, really hard because unless you're solving a problem for yourself, uh, like you would be in like a, most consumer companies, um, it's really hard to get access to those problems. So really surround yourself by ways to get insights into problems that uh, many people have in the industry is really important. And then going and doing it and uh, not looking back is the, the best thing you can do. And Akash, where can people connect with you and learn more about Naya? Um, they can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn, on on Twitter, and to learn more about Naya, Naya.com. And would love to hear from anybody looking to learn more or looking to uh, join an early stage company. And I'll be sure to link everything up we've discussed in the show notes at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And Naya is spelled N-A-Y-Y-A. So if you guys are curious about that, I'll be uh, sure to link up the actual, uh, your LinkedIn as well. So people have that. And Akash, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Justin, this has been a blast. Really uh, enjoyed being on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.